Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raph Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Fridays in the Top End, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Robbie the Guru Hale, I want to talk a little bit about junior football in the Northern Territory, but I think a good segue to that is to announce the, not announce like it's breaking news or anything, but talk about Lloyd Johnson's debut. So yep. very, very exciting news, that one. Sort of, I wouldn't say I was completely surprised, but took me by surprise a little bit hearing that news yesterday. I know he's been in really good form in the VFL and the Gold Coast Suns are flying in the VFL, so he's been a big contributor to that. But Lloyd Johnson, what do you know about him as a junior footballer? Obviously, you've coached against him and, mm. and, and coached, maybe coached him, have you, in that development sort of team or been involved with the NT Thunder under-18s and spent a bit of time there. So what do you know about Lloyd Johnson? Yeah, so Lloyd Johnson sort of come on my radar when Travis Rabig was um, coaching him at uh, under-16 level at Wanderers. And definitely, and I think that would have been like his first season as well. So he's a pretty, pretty I think raw. he was pretty raw coming yeah. in. Um, obviously comes from Borrelula, and Borrelula is a big soccer background. So Travis Rabig, though, when he coached him, did like give him a lot of license off half back, and he sort of wasn't too accountable and sort of just run off and created a lot, which was pretty good. Um, he obviously stood out, and um, definitely we had a pretty strong side in the 18s when we played against him, and he played. And but he was always in their best two or three and gave us nightmares. It was like we constantly were kicking the footy to him. Mm. Um, and then he was down at Adam Crow's playing as well, and I did drive him back to Darwin. Um, that was about two or three years ago. So I did drive him back and very quiet, modest sort of kid. And mm. you could sort of just tell like, the vibe from speaking to him that he always wanted or destined to try to do something bigger for his life. Yeah. Um, and you, you sort of see that in Darwin. Sometimes you see the kids that have the talent, but just not the mental mm. um, capacity or, you know, whatever you could call it. But he definitely had that drive, I could tell, within him that he wanted to play as high level as he could. Yeah, and he played very good football, didn't he, when he progressed into the senior ranks. So was basically like yeah. a Mitchell Taylor clone off the back line when he played in that role. Was not the first player to bring it to the NTFL, but maybe one of the better intercept marking players when he played that role for Wanderers. Was rewarded with selection into the representative team and, you know, played quite well at that level as well. So has progressed into the VFL um, and playing very good football against senior men. Yeah, and what's one thing I've got a, criti- like a bit of criticism on NTFL clubs is that you got to play these kids earlier. Um, and, you know, like you can do all these development programs and junior programs and all this stuff that clubs run. But if you're not giving them senior games or seeing Premier League reserve games, then their development's just going to stagnate. And Lloyd was like that as well. Lloyd probably should have played Premier League the year before um, and then played the year later and was, you know, pretty much a standout and played in the rep side. So you can't tell me that he should have been playing senior football earlier. Mm. But he's got there now um, dominating for the Suns and it's going to be a good experience for him as well coming into his um, second AFL preseason as well Jacko against Carlton so a pretty big game for him as well if he can play mm. well here it's going to going to be great for his career um, well done to John Kenzie the Pints champion who sort of set up a Darwin middle school competition he's got the Gold Coast Suns involved in that but O'Loughlin College have done the double so the boys have Who'd they defeat? Dripstone by mm. 47 points yesterday at TIO Stadium, while the girls defeated Sanderson Middle School by 36 points. In the boys' game, Isaac Paris starred with three goals and was best on ground. In the girls' game, Daisha Daly and Peggy Rock were the stars, with Rock claiming best on ground honours. Is there enough middle school football being played, Robert? Is that an age group that perhaps we might be neglecting, considering the fact that the School Sport Australia Championships were just played over the last week and Northern Territory did not have an under-15s team participating. That's, that's, was, that was very concerning for me. 
Yeah, I didn't even know that was the case, but it, it sort of sums up where we're at, doesn't mm. it, with the development in, so in, in TFL? Yeah, that's shocking. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the reasoning for that is, but um, I think junior development and then NT has obviously gone backwards at a, at a whole, you know, in a massive level now. Why and how? Um, how can that happen? I think, I think when some, I don't know who it is, but the powers that be sometimes with the Thunder program, they're asking clubs to nominate their own 16 players, and you got football clubs that nominated 16 players in the under 16 grades. Like you just stuff like this, just and then people being unrealistic at club unrealistic level. at club level, but the club and the NTFL, like the NT Thunder program, don't sort of. There's there's issues there. Um, I think I think the best 15 players in each age group should be Thunder players before club players. Mm. That's my opinion, and they should train at the academy uh, through you know Sunday all the way to Wednesday. Then the club get them on Thursday. They play their game and then straight back into um, Thunder on the Sunday and the rest and recovery. And that's that's sort of my vision for it because the clubs just aren't set up to Does, look after these players. I, I believe you hear a lot of complaints about Thunder and mm. the AFLNT and stuff like that. Let's be honest from Clubland, so do you think that people at Clubland would trust Thunder and trust the Northern Territory State Academy programs to have their kids for four or five days a week and take them out of their systems? Like, if you're an under-18s coach, and you, you took training very seriously when you were coaching under-18s St Mary's, if you had Northern Territory coming and taking your star kids away and saying, hey, no, we've got them, would you personally, and do you think other coaches at junior level would have the trust that they're receiving the right development at the State Academy program? Yeah, I definitely would. But I don't think that's the case for, you know, I think that's it's horses for courses for that. But even when I was playing in that under-18 premiership, you know, sort of thing, I was when I was winning flags at that level, I sent through four or five players to the Thunder Academy to mm. look at. Um, and other clubs had eight or nine. And we're beating those clubs by ten goals. And I was like, this doesn't add up. Because yeah. like, I knew that there was a talent levels. Um, but I just don't... I, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done between the clubs and the players, um, and you know, and Thunder to bridge that gap mm. um, you know look even at Banks here where we're operating out of a container right now we're, we're going to have a pretty successful year but that's how we've been operating you know we've got a couple of good juniors coming through that are, are training with us that look pretty good that might play Premier League reserves footy but we don't, we're not set up our thunder is and I think they need to start that talent identification at 14s as well Jacko that's another aspect yeah well there is going to be a talent identification this weekend with the Michael Long Cup 14 boys and girls team I believe it's 14 I could be wrong with that number um, 14 teams across the Northern Territory will be playing uh, in Darwin and it will be a, a like a form as an identification for the Northern Territory under 16s teams yep. um, Nightcliff Shannon Miller has put in a mountain of work in that so well done to Shannon as I said well done to John Kenzie getting that middle schools competition up and running he has involved the Gold Coast Suns so it's officially called the Gold Coast Suns middle school competition um, and, and his whole reason was he thought there was a lack of footy being played at middle school level um, I know there was a big gap there where you had some of the schools with Clontarf Academies playing pretty regular games as inter-Clontarf games and stuff like that but the um, the broader school football at that level was sort of neglected a little bit I felt yeah um, well you also add in mate like the kids will play like they'll start probably mid-October this year, and then they'll break over the school holidays. Mm. So <laughs> there's just not enough footy for the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a couple of aspects I still want to talk a little bit about with junior footy, including the primary school comp. So I'm coaching in the primary school comp, and it is just a ban on tackling to the ground. You tackle someone to the ground, it's a free kick. Done. That, that is what we're. So we'll talk a bit more about that <laughs> after Robbie. Plenty more to come here on SCN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter.
Checking the Northern Territory forecast, sunny in Alice Springs for your Friday, a top of 22 degrees. Darwin is mostly sunny with a top of 32. Fine Saturday as well. And don't miss tonight's blockbuster between the Pies and the Lions, live tonight on SEN. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. Welcome to Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Friday is in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. So, Robbie, we were talking about junior football in the Northern Territory. I've been helping out with my local primary school team, the one that I teach at, um, and it looks like they have outlawed tackling. So I will have to double-check with the umpires to talk about the actual specifics around it. But from what I've seen from the three or four games that I've watched, any kid that tackles another kid to the ground will be paid a free kick against, regardless of whether... Like, I understand the outlawing of dump tackles and sling tackles and protecting the head and all that sort of stuff, but these kids are pretty much being gently put onto the ground and mm. a free kick's being paid against them. Um, I sort of... Contextually, I look at that. I look at the way the Northern Territory under-12s performed in Victoria, and obviously we're not expecting close games when they play South Australia and Western Australia and Victoria and that. But it's—I think it was like one goal to, you know, 500 points against or something like that across the uh, the five carnival games. Yep. Um, are we doing enough for these kids at that level? Like, we don't have a 15s Northern Territory team, which we spoke about before. Um, this whole School Sport Australia thing, I don't want to say... I don't want to be negative against School Sport Australia. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's a great organisation. But what can we do to help these kids and make sure that these results are a little more competitive? Yeah, well, back in our day, Clark, you had the overage players. I just don't know if they have that anymore. They need um, more, don't they? They, they, they need more because you can't... Yeah. You, if you have six players, maybe at 13s, um, six or eight, but that, that's even, you know, like we're just, we're just so far behind at the moment and it's a strange decision to do that. Um, I understand the importance around concussion, but... When they're, at that under tw- yeah, but mm. when they're at that under-12 primary school level, kids don't generally hit hard enough to nah. create that. A kid's going to struggle to even get you to the ground. And even my son that plays rugby and plays footy can get knocked to the ground quite easy. And then all of a sudden gets knocked to the ground and gets a free kick. Mm. You're teaching really bad habits. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to go too far, but mm. you sort of... Like, you need to learn how to take tackles as well. And you yep. need to grow up being tackled and learning technique, how to fall, learning your best way to protect your health and protect your body. And if you're not doing any tackling, like I'm not, I play local football, I'm not the greatest tackler myself, but mm-hmm. I still remember being able to tackle at eight, nine, ten years old and being the, given the option to tackle when playing at school. If these kids are growing up and not even having the opportunity to lay strong talent tackles and they're 13, 14 years old, Gee, they're they're behind the eight ball when they when they start playing serious football. Yeah, definitely are, um, and that's why you know, like I've I've got my son playing rugby and it's full tackle, and obviously that's um, <coughs> is what it is. But you know, his tackling's gone to another level from playing rugby league, and mm. he he loves his football. So that's you know, I'd, I'd rather him playing rugby league than school sport, school footy, if that's what's you know coming about. Yeah, and I mean, I put my hand up and say I'm speaking out of turn a little bit here. I have mm. no doubt there are people at AFL Northern Territory and people. Um, at, you know, in the school sports system that know more than I do about junior development and that. But I just want to make sure that we, perhaps, I just want to make sure that we are aligned with the other states and the best states. Like, are they playing, are the best under-12 Victorian kids in Victoria, 
are they playing on small grounds and are they playing games that go for about half an hour? You know, we have the heat policy and stuff up here. Our kids are only playing, what, 48-minute games, aren't they, at under-12 yeah. level or just about? No, no, yeah, it's yeah. like eight-minute quarters or It's something, something crazy during yeah, the heat crazy. stuff. Yeah, yep. so uh, are those kids getting the same development as the best kids in Victoria of the same age, the best kids in South Australia of the same age? That's the question I have. Yep, so that's pretty valid. That's um, where it's at. I think, um, yeah, pretty much. So watch this space, I suppose. I know the Michael Long Cup this weekend, so that would be a good opportunity for our 14 and 15-year-olds to sort of shine for that under-16s level. But I don't know. They're still. I, it makes you a bit nervous if they're two or three years behind these other states already by the time they get to that age, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's a fine line between taking junior footy too seriously. But, geez, I tell you what, mate, if you want some entertaining reading, go and read the Herald Sun article about the Victoria under-12 players. They do, like, a big player profile in every single one, and they're mm. specific. It's like, oh, hard as a cat's head, kicks with a laser left foot, really good at directing play behind traffic. And, yep. and as we were saying before, the NT one could be like, kicks a nice drop punt every every now and then, you know, yep. and stuff like that. So yeah, um, they take it serious down there, mate. Well, I was even talking to Johnny Anstess, and Johnny Anstess is involved at um, at under 12 and 14 level the last few years, and he's you know up and coming coach as well in that junior space. But he said that you know like he's um, Iggy Vallejo's son is down in Adelaide playing 20 minute quarters, and up here we're playing eight minute or 10 minute quarters. It's just not good enough. And um, but if if the NTFL want to do this with the heat policy, then they need to open it up so that kids can play. Um, another grade. Mm. So I'd be happy for my, under, my son to play under 12s and play under 14s Div 2. Um, I'd be open to that and that's sort of the development he needs. He's going to go up against big kids but that's fine. But that way he can get four games, two, you know, eight quarters of football in. Mm. But they've got rules around that now. So... Dry season footy has to improve, in my opinion. I yep. think if you're going to have a... I don't want to call it a Mickey Mouse junior comp in the Northern Territory Football League, but there are a few things few things in that competition that you raise your eyebrows to with, you know, the heat policy and all that sort of stuff. Um, and some of these things are a necessity as well. But mm. if you're going to do that, that's fine. Then we need to have, like what John Kenzie was trying to set up, an established middle schools competition or something for our best, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds in, in the proper football season while the AFL is on TV, while you're trying to capture new kids to football, there needs to be a better competitions in Darwin for kids, in my opinion, in the off-season, in the dry season. Yeah, I, I agree with that, because there are kids that don't want to play other sports and don't, mm. you know, they're just football kids as well, so it, I think we are missing a bit of a, you know, boat. I think in my primary school days, I think where there was a, you know, there, there was a Swans and all that that mm. you played in, I played out in grey. Um, yeah. Forgot the team's name, but I played out there as well, and it just keeps your footy going all year round, and that's what'll be interesting as well. Another side point will be the Tiwi Bombers to see how they go, having played a whole season and fresh off that, yeah. um, and having that focus on the Tiwi Bombers now. Yep. So obviously not negative. I think they were good discussions just then, Robert, and I think they're discussions that need to be had. But let's talk about some of the some three juniors who are springing to mind as elite level talents potentially in the future. And we're talking a little a little bit down the track. Some of these girls are quite young, but Palmerston's Marika Carlton, uh, Peggy Rock from Nycliffe, and Tatiana Perry, who won the Rising Star last year, also from Palmerston. Three absolute superstar players. I watched Carlton play in the Darwin Knights competition, um, and she was best on ground and absolutely dominated, basically. Won both the under-16s and under-18s NTFL Best and Fairest Awards last year. Took out Best on Ground Honours in the Grand Final for both of those grades. Um, just a star of the future. From what I've seen, blistering speed, great balance and a nice finisher. So one to watch out for yep. at the elite level. Peggy Rock's an interesting one. So I first heard about her because someone said, Jackson, you've got to watch this under-14s girls player. There's, they've got a Joel Selwood down there. And I was like, wow, okay. And I saw her play for the first time on the weekend, also in that ninth competition. And gee, she's a good footballer. She's going 
to be one to watch in the coming years. She won an under-12s best and fairest playing against the boys, with the boys a couple of years ago, um, and has since won back-to-back under-14s girls NTFL best and fairest awards. So won it as a bottom major and, and won it again this year. I think she's about 13 or 14 years old. I've got absolutely no doubt she could play Women's Premier League tomorrow if, if that was that was a thing. Um, but she's one to watch for the coming years. And, of course, Tatiana Perry, who first saw her play in an under-12s boys grand final, which she dominated. Um, she's been a good junior player and then progressed into the Women's Premier League best and fairest. Uh, sorry, won her best and fairest on her debut season. Debut season. Gee, that was a tongue twister. Yep. Um, for Palmerston last year and also featured in the NTFL rep team. I think she had a leadership role in that team as well. I don't know if it was vice captain or in the leadership group or something, but played a big, big role in that NTFL rep team. So I've spoken for a fair while here, Robbie, but those three mm. junior players are, um, are really impressive. Are the and it's not like it has to be a competition. Not everything has to be a competition. But are our girls more talented than the boys at the moment? Do we have more talented girls? Like if you, if you were, if this these were stocks, you'd rather have your money on the girls making a bigger impact at the elite level over the next ten years, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not too sure on that statement. It's just more that I think the girls there's less. Could you name a boy under the age of eighteen that you think will play AFL? Yeah, maybe Will Rollins. But what I'm saying is, though, Clark, is that um, two or three years ago, the women's program was like pretty much tiered with the other states. Mm. And what I'm seeing now is that they're actually getting a bit of a gap because they were actually beating some of the yeah. sides and now they're starting to fall back. Yeah. So give it three, two or three more years and they're probably going to be back where the boys are. But is but, that natural population? Like, isn't that just where NT belong on? Isn't that like what we get at basketball and rugby uh, league? And I, think, I think that's sort of more development sure. stuff. When Yeah, well, definitely. Because it's... We, we used to be highly competitive against Queensland and these sides that had 4 million um, people. So, obviously, football is growing a little bit, but their player development pathways are a lot better. So, I think that's a direct replication of that. Um, I think we cap out. I just think that the development in Queensland has grown over the last decade, and then eventually they were always going to rise and be better than the NT once that development lifted nah, because of the population. I just no, I don't agree with that because if I'm looking back at you know how the NTFL boys, even like my years in the under-18s, and obviously we can look back and say um, we can judge whatever you want on the standard or whatever, but I think out of our under-18 side, probably 75% of blokes were playing Premier League footy, mm. and now it's all those kids, and most of them just sit back and play 18s. Like, the difference of the standard has affected them doing that. So, clubs have been reluctant to probably play blokes, and clubs have been easy going and just let kids pick under-18 football. But in turn, they go up and play nationals, and they just get absolutely blown out of the park. Yeah. Well, look, I don't fully disagree with that, but from what I've seen... I think Carlton, Rock, and I believe Perry as well are elite-level prospects. I believe, like I watched Danielle Ponta play junior football, and obviously we've seen what she's gone on to do. And from the very, very limited football I've seen of Marika Carlton and Peggy Rock, I see those two players at that standard um, of Danielle Ponta, which I understand is a big call. Danielle Ponta won four consecutive league best and fairest in the same grade, which just never happens. I think that must be a world record. I I cannot possibly think of another uh, competition around Australia where a kid's won four consecutive league best and fairest starting from 11 all the way up to the under 15 so no doubt she was a superstar junior but I'm telling you get down and watch Peggy Rock or Mariki Carlton and Tatiana Perry for that matter because I see elite level uh, AFL players all over those three so hopefully um, hopefully that happens um, and again it's not about throwing shade at the boys as well we want that we yeah, want development up here it's not a competition no we want to work out why um, you know how we can improve because the more NT players we have running around uh, you know it's exciting Rob it's exciting seeing Lloyd Johnson and players like that make their debut so hopefully that can that's a good little chat about NT football hopefully um, yeah the junior stuff can improve in the coming months and coming years Definitely. stay with us at SEN Fridays in the top end thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chat
up now. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to Fridays in the Top End. My name's Oliver Landos and I'm joined by Rob Hale and also shortly we'll get to Malcolm Crawford who is a uh, NBL1 commentator. And also feel free to text in at any time 0426 307 269. And uh, Malcolm, do we have you? Yeah, mate. Right here, ready to go. Thank you for joining us. And obviously the NBL1 is heating up at the moment. The uh, divisions have finished and then now we get into the uh, national finals. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how the North Division is sitting and who made it through? Yeah, so the North is actually in a unique position. Um, a lot of the other divisions will only have the one um, <clears throat> the one grand final game uh, right in that very first weekend before the Nationals. Uh, North does things a little bit different. We have a proper grand final series. we stretch it out to three games potentially. Um, and in the men's uh, division, that actually happened because we had the... Uh, the Gold Coast Rollers, who were my pick, came out and slapped Ipswich Force in that first game. It was a really dominant performance by them. Ipswich just did not see themselves. Um, but they dug pretty deep and they uh, dug into their bag and they realised they had a player by the name of Nathan uh, Sobey and he had an almost 40-piece in the second game. Uh, really stretched that out. Wow. And uh, ended up going to, uh, for the first time in NBL 1 North history, um, ended up going two, three games in that series. And Ipswich Force were able to get it done on the back of Sobey in that one. Dang, dang. And, of course, other players uh, like Jason Ralph, the captain for the force, who just were absolutely amazing at uh, keeping their dribbles alive, low amounts of turnovers, and then finding their uh, finding amazing ways to get the ball to their um, get some really amazing assists, including one where it was almost falling out of bounds and uh, did an amazing alley-oop to Dang Dam for a huge uh, huge dunk in the third game. Uh, over on the women's side, we had the north side Wizards, who unfortunately for the Cinderella story, are a rocky team who have had two really difficult seasons coming into this year, um, weren't able to get it done, Rocky. They got a little bit trounced. Um, they just didn't really have, have enough. Uh, Wizards were just too strong on the defensive end and just had <clears throat> their help D was just amazing. They were able to push their defense right up the court and slow Rocky's offense down to the point where they just uh, almost at times looked a little bit ineffective towards the end of games. They got that done in two, and obviously they head off to uh, Jundalup in WA, Ebony Perth. Um, for the national finals, which start uh, this afternoon, so they're all over there, all ready to go. Wow! And when will we have the? Uh, so is the uh, national finals a three-game series as well? Uh, so the national finals, basically, they all have their first game today, and then depending on results, they'll have a game tomorrow, um, and then basically it's a you lose, you're out sort of scenario, um, and then the the two highest uh, winners effectively. Uh, from the Nationals uh, will then go through 
to the grand final game on Sunday, which is just a one-off game. So it's uh, last year the the men's was between uh, Frankston Blues and Rockingham, and uh, this year this year obviously it's it's all up in the air. But the Force have Rockingham to start uh, because they won the <clears throat> golden ticket winning last year, so they'll come back and yeah, they play this afternoon and look should be very interesting uh should be very interesting series. Can't wait. Awesome. Well thank you for that. Last one from me unless Rob has a question, but comparing this NBL one season to the previous one and the one before that, do you feel like the league is heading in the uh right direction in regards to the growth and development of the league? Um definitely. Definitely. It uh, it feels like it's getting getting better in all areas um the even down to the broadcast and the way uh, the way teams are um you know doing things that are volunteer and the commentators like you like oh the commentators yeah the comment the commentary game is just uh, unbelievable at the moment but uh the players the professionalism of the league it's all going up and up and up and it's leading to really great on-court basketball which is what the fans want and that's why they're coming back in more and more numbers Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Malcolm, and I'll, uh, we'll touch base with you maybe after the uh, national finals, but thank you very much for joining us. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. This is Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am, this is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark, and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to Fridays in the Top End. My name's Oliver Landos and I'm here with uh, Rob Hale. Uh, we couldn't get through to Malcolm Crawford, the NBL One commentator, just yet, but I'm sure he'll uh, touch base with us in 10 to 15 minutes or, sh- or so. Um, but now let's get through some uh, AFL reviews from last round, Rob. It was a crazy round, a few close finishes, but let's start off with the uh, Friday night game, which was Collingwood versus Geelong. Collingwood came out victorious, 109 to 101, but it was such an entertaining game. There was obviously the, uh, the Jeremy Cameron uh, out of bounds and then uh, also receiving mm. a, ham- a handball out of bounds. But let's um, quickly have a listen to what he had to say um, on his goals that were uh, out of bounds. I'm not an umpire. I know I kicked a couple of goals from outside the boundary, but we move on okay. All I do is grab the ball and try and kick goals. So thanks for all your messages um, of support. Well, I wouldn't say they're supportive. I'm... Anyway, we move on. <laughs> pretty good from that, him. That's the first time Ollie I've heard that. Yeah, it's pretty good from him. Don't you reckon? I, I really am a big fan of Jeremy Cameron. He's, uh, he's a very easygoing guy and kind of uh, makes fun of how tough the social media landscape can be with being a mm. professional athlete. But what are your thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, I think he sums it up pretty well, doesn't he? Um, I mean, I, I would have been in the same position. I probably would have not realised that, you know, I'm getting the ball. You're not get, realised you're getting the ball handballed to you when you're out of play. Um, it's not like he deliberately tried to cheat. Um, was it Myers that handballed it to him? I think Myers it might have been or, yeah. Yeah, I but, can't um, exactly remember, but it was yeah. um, definitely out. It was funny hearing Chris Scott talk about after the game where he's like, yeah, I've talked to um, a few, like, 
AFL uh, experts or people in the know and they um, thought it was inbounds and then like the footage is clearly out of bounds. Yep. But um, yeah, in regards definitely. to the game, uh, what like it was a massive win, especially for Collingwood. You just felt that after the Darcy Moore hamstring, that maybe the wheels were falling off slightly, and it was a bit of, bit of panic for the first time in the season. I would have thought, and then they yeah. kind of found their their classic method method of attack there in the second quarter, and were able to run over the top, including um, just kind of like fast paced. Um, footy and with Darcy Moore out, um, Ginevan I thought came in and had three clear goal assists and was uh, was awesome to see him back out there. Yeah, I agree, Ollie. Um, I think it's I think it was a it was a very important win for Collingwood in the aspect of that now they're not going to lose first or second spot because um, that did start to look like a possibility. Um, but now they've secured that win and that now they're able to kind of be able to rest some stars as well. And Damien Barrett touched on that in his column um, that he does um, in the Fridays of Sliding Doors where I'd be, you know, giving a rest to Adams, to Gurry, um, these sort of players that have been putting in massive work um, and freshen them up come finals. It'd be great if they rested them all in round 24 against the Bombers, especially if we win this week because our <laughs> final spot will be up, up, up for grabs there. So that takes us to the next game, which is the Essendon North game. Um, he has a bomber supporter. You know, I'm just happy to win, really. Um, bit of a snooze one. Um, but, yeah, good to get the win there. Yeah, you've had a, a couple close victories against uh, two bottom sides in the last few weeks. But it's, uh, you'll take the, the four points and uh, get away with it. It uh, doesn't matter how it comes. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it's sort, uh, it it sort of worries me. If I'm doing the crystal ball here, Ollie, like if we win this week and win next week, or get, if we finish in the eighth and... Going again up against Carlton in the first elimination final could be a bit of a worry. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I don't think anyone wants to play Carlton at the moment. I'm a I'm a Dodgers mm. fan, so I'm sitting here hoping that we don't get the five versus eight against Carlton as well. But uh, at least yep. for, at least for Essendon, I know they're winning, but it's coming in a kind of a dirty fashion. But mm. I, I think that does show some level of maturity in the side. And um, in years past, they lose those games, those games that you yep. should win. So I guess. Even though they're winning and they're winning close and they're winning a bit ugly, I think the fact that they're still getting the four points is definitely a big step because that's definitely an issue for a lot of sides is that they struggle to win the ones that they're meant to win. Yeah, definitely. Um, Moving on to the next game, we've got Swans beat Suns. Swans are slowly slinking under the radar as well for mine. Um, Obviously, I tipped them to beat Giants to beat them. Um, Eric Gordon, Errol Gordon's in All-Australian form and should be on a wing in the All-Australian side, but able to get over the Suns there by 24 points. Much um, much input from that one, Ollie. Well, we actually had um, uh, in the picks last night with David King and Miles, they were talking about Errol Gordon as a, a bit of a... No, no, sorry, it was Adam White on Giddy Up with Gareth Hall mentioned Errol Gordon as a possible Brownlow outsider. And he said uh, yep. $34... Um, gamble responsibly, but that's uh, he's having an absolutely insane season, and uh, he'll definitely win the best and fairest up there in Sydney. But yeah, they've had um, a full bill of health for the last like month or five or six weeks, and they're looking really dangerous again. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, and if you do look at, you know, that's got some validation as well. That comment in the in the aspect of, you know, other other sides having key players taking votes off each other. If you're looking at the top sides, and 
Maybe Nick Dacos is probably the only one that probably is going to get a lot of votes to himself, but then obviously getting injured. Um, Bontempelli could have some, you know, um, Liber could be taking some votes off him. Liber's, Liber's had an All-Australian season. Um, and you're also looking at Petrarca and Oliver. Both have had um, great seasons. Um, Oliver with that injury recently, and then Petrarca's obviously taken over and had some best on-ground games post the Oliver injury. But... I can see some validation in that uh, Errol Goulden uh, comment, though. And $34, there has been a, a fair few... Um, I mean, yeah, there has been upsets in the Brownlow um, over the years. Um, Brisbane Lions beat Adelaide by a goal. So, um, don't know. Are there, are there concerns in the Lions? I'm not sure. Um, Adelaide just unable to beat those top sides. And um, when they're travelling away as well, they're, they're home, their away record's just really poor. Yeah, I think Brisbane are just... They're just going at the moment. They're not yep. uh, winning in a very entertaining way. They're not as dominant they, as they were earlier in the season. But again, similar to Essendon, they're getting the job done. They're getting the four points and they're moving on to the next week. They've had a few injuries. They've had to adjust with Ashcroft, um, obviously doing his ACL. So I'm sure that midfield is kind of just slightly just a bit out of rotation. Not sure um, how many... They're probably getting extended minutes in the midfield, that sort of thing. So they're adjusting to that, but... Um, if they can secure a home final, I guess that's all that matters for um, Brisbane. Yep, and it, and it has been a great turnaround from the Crows as well. And I, I sort of expect them to play finals next year and the, the pressure will be on for finals. Carlton, Melbourne, probably one of the games of the year. Um, I'm still confused. I, I can't, the, the touch, you know, my son's a Melbourne supporter and he blew up about it. He turned the TV off and then I had to go quickly turn the TV back on. Um, <laughs> He's a Melbourne supporter, and yeah, he wasn't happy once the final siren went. But I did tip the Blues, um, albeit by four points. Um, what do you think, Ollie? Was that touched on the line? I didn't see conclusive footage that it was touched. Um, mm. I can understand based on the pack being there on the line and the movement of the hands for the goal umpire to think that it was touched. But um, I wasn't too sure that it was touched, and I was. Uh, um, Thought that uh, Carlton got away with one there, but because Melbourne were coming that last couple of minutes, they were just attacking the whole time. And uh, unfortunately, Petrarca could have had a seriously uh, awesome career moment with that highlight, mm. but uh, it gets overturned and is a behind. Yep, and it's also very good to see Cripper back in um, in that bullish form as well, throwing blokes around. And yeah, it's, it shows, you know, Carlton are... I'd almost have them as premiership favourites if they finished in the top four. I think most people almost would, but yeah. obviously coming from fifth, it's going to be quite tough, isn't it? 100%. And um, we better go to a break now, Rob, and uh, we'll yep. come back with, uh, I think Malcolm Crawford is ready to go. So this is no worries. Friday's in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listening. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Friday's in the Top End with Jackson Clark. Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. But he obviously, with the Eagles going down by 100 points, it seems like Adam Simpson is done, um, judging from what I'm reading and hearing. Is that what you've heard, Ollie, in uh, football, your football world down there in Melbourne? Yeah, it's definitely been uh, circulating around. I've actually got some audio from Adam Simpson um, yep. on speaking to people at the Eagles about his future. So let's have a listen to that now. No, I haven't asked the board, but I've, I've spoken to a few people at the club to uh, to get some direction. So that's that's true, but it's not it's not I'm not stamping my feet. Um, it's just more, you know, when we do all these um, future planning, it's you know obviously you, you want to 
be there um, if you're recruiting people and employing staff. So that that clarity is important. I think we've we've planned something at the end of the season. So getting a bit of, bit of clarity around that would be nice. But you know, at the same time, I fully respect the board, and they've always been pretty stoic and run by an agenda that they set, and uh, I respect that. So we'll we'll find out in due course, and we'll get some clarity as we go. What do you make of that, Rob? Yeah, it seems like there's something happening behind closed doors, doesn't it? Um, I've read recently as well something that's going to cost Eagles $4 million to move him on, so it's going to be a quite a big decision, but Eagles being you know, one of the biggest clubs, or arguably one of the biggest clubs in the land, it's you know quite quite interesting. Yeah, I find it um, pretty interesting with coaches that after they've had like a decent tenure, whether it's like seven, eight, nine years, and Bevo's getting this, a similar treatment now, is that the natural kind of progression is that people get a bit tired of their their personality and how they go about the game, so they look to move them on. I feel like Adam Simpson's facing that at the moment. Yeah, definitely, I think so as well. And that takes us on to the Bulldogs. Your Bulldogs, they went down by three points. I did tip Hawthorne in this one, so the guru got that one right. Um, what do you make of that one, Ollie? Uh, well, the Hawthorne midfield is going to be seriously dangerous for years to come. Jai Newcomb is an absolute gun um, absolutely love watching him play. Plays the right way. Plays that aggressive, physical game as well. Kind of reminds me a bit of Dusty in regards to um, he uses his physical stature to make space for himself often throughout the game and his beautiful kick as well. Um, but Hawthorne, yeah, I've circled it as a d- danger game heading to Tasmania. You never want to play a team that uh, kind of has a bit of experience mm. at that uh, at a random ground um, around Australia like that. But yeah, the Bulldogs, Libba went, uh, went down with a concussion and we just couldn't f- get back on our feet, which is uh, unfortunate. And uh, now the Bulldogs are forced to have to win their final two games to make finals. Yeah, it is um, yeah, it is a tough position. And on a personal level, I did bring in Liberatore and Libba into my fantasy side, so that hurt. Um, but speedy recovery for Libba. St Kilda got it done against Richmond. Um, and obviously we've got the farewell games this week um, of Rewalt and Cochin, which I'm surprised Clarkie, Clarkie's a massive Cochin nuffy, um, didn't bring that up, Ollie. Yeah, dead sad. And I think uh, St Kilda are lucky that their farewell game wasn't that weekend because um, I'm sure that they'll fire up and uh, and win on that farewell game. They're, they're a dangerous game, especially for St Kilda, trying to make finals yep. and they get um, stitched up with two legends retiring. So um, they, they dodged a bullet there. Lastly, um, Port Power uh, defeated GWS 136-85 to 85, and it looked like Port kind of got their mojo back. Do you think uh, heading into the finals that Port will be able to find a bit of form in these final few rounds to uh, have a real impact in the finals? Yeah, I think so. Um, that was my nuffy tip of the week. I did tip um, GWS in that one, and that was way off. But good to see Horn Francis, three goals and 27. That's the sort of player he's going to become, an absolute match winner. Good to see Willie Rioli back with three. Um, and obviously, yeah, so it's it's good for Port Adelaide. Um, don't know where they're going to land in the draw. That looks like they're going to be playing away round one, uh, first week of finals, possibly against Collingwood at the G. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting, Ollie, for that one. And that wraps up the reviews from last round. So let's take a break, Rob, and we'll come back the other side and we'll have a look at this round's games as well as we might um, quickly give a little bit of a chat on the UFC because that's obviously this weekend and a a title fight at that. So this has been Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listening. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin.
finding a place to write your next chapter. Checking the Northern Territory forecast, sunny in Alice Springs for your Friday, a top of 22 degrees. Darwin is mostly sunny with a top of 32, fine Saturday as well. And don't miss tonight's blockbuster between the Pies and the Lions, live tonight on SEN. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. Welcome to Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark and Raf Clark and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to Fridays in the Top End. I'm Ollie Landos. I'm here with Rob Hale. And we're joined by Andrew O'Toole from NT Racing, Thoroughbred Racing NT, the best show on sand. Andrew, do we have you? Ollie, good morning. Good morning, Rob. Yeah, Andrew. It was a great uh, Monday at the uh, Darwin Cup there. Um, obviously, I, I missed out on the quarter. I missed the first leg with stage front winning the first leg. Can give us a brief rundown of some of the races on Cup Day and uh, and obviously the eventual winner um, in the Darwin Cup, write your name. Yeah, look, it was, that was obviously the highlight, Rob. It was a, uh, a tremendous day. Um, good crowd. About 10,000 uh, the Darwin Turf Club, I uh, believe, on course on the day. Maybe slightly down on, uh, on last year, but uh, obviously... Um, a combination of uh, you know, rising mortgage rates and the economy and uh, the lack of flights in and out of the uh, territory and the cost of those probably uh, contributed to those sort of things. But nevertheless, a really good day's racing. Um, some, uh, some, some good winners on the day. Uh, a, a culmination of uh, eight big days of racing. 555 horses, guys, went round over the eight days at the carnival. That was the biggest number since 2016. So certainly from a, uh, a numerical point of view, uh, very successful. And, of course, uh, the weekend was uh, massive for Dick Leach. Uh, he won the sprint on Saturday with Early Crow and then uh, backed that up two days later with Write Your Name, giving Paul Shires his first Darwin Cup shares. He's won nine Darwin Guineas, seven NT Derbies and four Palmerstons, but he hadn't won a Darwin Cup. Now he can tick that one off the bucket list. So um, a fantastic weekend, guys, and um, you wouldn't believe it's... Uh, It'll be almost two weeks uh, that uh, the Cup was run and won, and we're off this weekend uh, down the road to Catherine and looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, I didn't mind the um, middle of the track, the general admission as well, and with the concerts, it definitely appeals to the younger crowd, and I thought that was um, whoever made that decision at Darwin, um, amongst the Darwin Racing community and the, the committee or whoever it was, I think that was a very uh, good decision there. Yeah, my word, I couldn't agree more. That was something uh, new that the Darwin Turf Club tried this year and uh, very well received, as you say. Uh, it was a, a really good area out there. Um, normally in the past, that's been a, a corporate um, and sponsors area out in Centrefield. This year, the, the club mm -hmm. sort of changed that around. They brought the corporates and the sponsors to the, to the stand side and uh, made that a public area out there with bars and food outlets and bookmakers and what have you. And then, of course, the, uh, the concert after, uh, after the last... Um, which uh, really well attended and uh, by all accounts um, something that uh, the club was very pleased with and can grow in the future. So, um, yeah, well done to the Darwin Turf Club. It was a, a really good forward-thinking uh, move. Yeah, definitely. I was amongst some of the punters over that area. Um, so with the Catherine Cup here, you got a seven-race card um, as well. So is there any preview on that one there? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's always a good day at Catherine. Uh, obviously, their only meeting of the year at the present time. They're looking to possibly get another day in the not-too-distant future, Catherine. Um, we'll uh, have a chat with them when we're down there this weekend, but they, they do a very good job, Paul Mullins and his uh, team of volunteers there at Catherine. We always enjoy going down. It's a, a bit of a let your hair down after the um, the uh, stresses of the Darwin Carnival. So um, we're yep. on the road in about 20 minutes uh, down there. We, we go and set up... Um, 
quite a bit of setup to do, put all the speakers up and make sure that uh, we've got sound and vision for the day and test the commentator's mic and all those sort of things. So it's a really uh, a great weekend down there. Uh, the Cup uh, this year, just the six runners, but I think Gary Clark probably holds the key. Gary's won the uh, Catherine Cup three of the last uh, five years, and I think he can do so again with number two, Valabar. This horse actually won the Catherine Cup 12 months ago. And uh, since then, he's been back to Tasmania, where he uh, originates from. He came back to Darwin for the Carnival, uh, finished eighth in the Darwin Cup. Probably not as uh, a good a runner as last year when he actually ran third in the Darwin Cup. But um, I think the, that experience on the Catherine track will stand to Valabar to be ridden by Alice Lindsay. And that's uh, our last of the day down there at uh, Jim Jackson Racecourse. Uh, some uh, 45 uh, runners going around there at Catherine, I think, over the weekend. Um, so, um, yeah, looking forward to the seven-race card. Gets underway at about 1.42, I think, uh, tomorrow on Sky Channel, on Sky 2. So you'll be able to see all the races down there. Craig Sand will be calling them. And uh, just looking forward to getting down and, uh, and having some good cheer with the good people of Catherine. Awesome. I can't wait. And, Andrew, last one from me. Over the next few months, what's uh, the biggest uh, kind of racing days coming up on the calendar? Yeah, well, actually, uh, in in a, in a week today, uh, uh, next Friday, there's a, a meeting in Alice Springs, uh, traditionally known as Truckies Day. Uh, they have the Trucking Hall of Fame um, uh, every year in Alice Springs. People come from all over um, um, trucking people. They have an induct, uh, induction into the Hall of Fame. They have breakfasts and parades and all sorts of things. And, uh, and the Truckies Day race meeting is next Friday there in the Red Centre. So that's always a good day uh, to go racing. Uh, and after that, I suppose it's a build towards the... Uh, a spring Carnival with uh, the Cox Plate and the Caulfield Cup and the Everest and, of course, the first Tuesday in November, the Melbourne Cup. So plenty of racing uh, upcoming. It never stops. Uh, we just um, roll on every week. <laughs> but uh, but it's good fun. But uh, the Carnival was very successful, guys. So um, uh, it won't be long. It'll be here in 2024. Awesome. Great to hear, Andrew. And thank you for joining us. And I uh, hope you have a nice weekend. Good on you, Ollie. Looking forward to getting down the road. Uh, well, a lovely day for a, a drive in the country. So... Um, uh, we'll talk again next week. Outstanding. Have a good one, Andrew. Andrew. NT Thoroughbred Racing. It's simply the best racing entertainment in the territory. Live on SEN Top End, 16.11am. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark and Rob Hale. For Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to Fridays in the Top End. Our last 10 minutes here, Rob. So uh, let's yep. have a look at the games this weekend in the AFL starting off with a cracker tonight um, David King said last night on the picks that if Brisbane don't win this one they're not going to be able to win a flag which I definitely agree with, Collingwood have a lot of players out um, headlined by Darcy Moore um, Dugowie's resting and obviously Dacos out as well it's at Marvel Stadium so the Pies are not as dominant there compared to the MCG what do you make of this game? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, obviously, you could be mistaken to think it's somewhat Collingwood are rolling over, but there's definitely going to be a few blokes in that 18, or not 18, but probably 15 to 22 in the Collingwood side that are going to know there's three or four blokes out. So they're going to be playing for spots as well. So I expect it to be a cracker. I do somewhat agree that if Brisbane aren't able to win tonight, it's going to be worried. You obviously worry about the mental scars of that, don't you? So... I am tipping the Lions. Um, what are you going with, Ollie? I think the Lions win as well. I think this game means more to them in regards to getting a home final. And Collingwood, with their players out, I feel like they're just 
Um, and they're two games up, obviously, um, on second. So I just feel like they're not too concerned about this one and um, Brisbane take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got two dead rubbers next, sort of. Um, oh, they are dead rubbers, but Richmond against North. You expect Richmond to win that one at the G. That's 115 on Saturday. And then 140, the Suns are hosting the Blues. Um, obviously, Lloyd Johnson, a Territory Boy, debuting there for the Suns, which is great. Um, I'm tipping Richmond and Colt in those two games. Yeah, I'm t- definitely tipping Richmond. Obviously, we said uh, Trent Cochin and Jack Rewalt were t- retiring. So that's just is a massive boost, an emotional boost for any team. Um, so I feel like they take care of North and the, at the MCG. They should. You'd hope that they'd get a lot of people down for that one, just given the mm. the, um, the legends that are retiring. And then Gold Coast versus Blues. I know it's in the Gold Coast, but it's so hard to tip against the Blues at the moment. They are due a loss, but um, I feel like they're just too, too too dominant at the moment. I feel like they take care of the Suns as well. Yep. Yeah, it could be a slight upset there, which wouldn't surprise, but I'm going with the Blues. Um, and the next three games are really, like, they're eight-point games, aren't they? They're finals-shaping games. You've got the Giants are hosting the Bombers, and then St Kilda are playing Geelong at Marvel, and Adelaide are playing Swans at Adelaide. So three very important final-shaping games. Yeah, they're outstanding games. This round is ridiculous. Mm. I'm uh, very keen to sit on the couch all weekend. Um, the Giants versus Bombers, I feel like the Giants get the job done. Um, they've had a, couple, a down couple of weeks. They've got a few players coming back, so I feel like they get the job done there. St Kilda versus the Cats. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Saints. I feel like mm. they've continued to be uh, underrated. Their defense is one of the best in the league, and uh, over the last six weeks, and I feel like they get the job done over the Cats. And then I feel like the Swans defeat the Crows at home. I know. Um, the Crows are really good at home, but Sydney are flying, and I'm I'm picking them. Yep, I'm going to go for the Bombers. I'll go for St Kilda as with you, and I'm going to go with the Crows. I just think Crows at home are just really good. Uh, Bulldogs should get it done against the Eagles. It's no worries at Marvel. Get back in the winner's circle. Um, one of the, could be one of the last games for Adam Simpson. Um, North Melbourne, obviously you're tipping the Bulldogs as well, Ollie, aren't you? Yep, definitely. <laughs> Taking the dollar too. It could, right. it could be Bevo's <laughs> last, uh, one of his last games as well if we lose that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Melbourne versus Hawks. Like you said, you touched on Newcomb, Day, um, Warple, those sort of players. It's going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to watching them go head-to-head with Petrarca and Oliver. Yeah, I'm very keen for this game. I think the midfield matchup is going to be outstanding. And I also really love, we find it every time at the end of the season, these lower teams, these talented teams that just find their feet a little bit in the end, um, like, like the Hawks are at the moment. They're playing with so much confidence that they don't care. They're not. Tr- they're, there's no finals implications on the line, so they're playing with house money. So they yep. they're happy just to take it to these uh, top top teams. And wow, if Hawthorne happened to get this done, what a three weeks for them that would be. Beating Collingwood, beating the Dogs, and then beating the Demons. So uh, I think the Demons take care of them, but um, I'm not ruling out this Hawks team. Yeah, I'm a bit worried now because um, I have brought in. Uh Brought in, uh, who was it, sorry, um, Oliver into my fantasy side, so I might have to readjust that if if McGuinness does go to him. But, um, yep, Melbourne should win that. Port Adelaide free, I went over at Optus. Obviously, I'm going with Port in that one. How about yourself, Ollie? Yep, I'm going with Port as well. Um, it means more for them, and I feel like Freo um, have been disappointing this season, so I feel like Port get it done. I understand that we do have UFC 292 coming up. Um, you want to touch on that a bit, and I've got some input as well. Yep. Um, 
So we'll mainly go through the uh, the main fight, which is uh, Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley, Sugar Sean. Um, it's a for the bantam weight bantam weight title. Um, should be a cracker. Um, Sterling is definitely the favourite, but Sugar Sean has uh, had a great UFC run and definitely getting this title shot pretty early. But um, Sterling's going to leave the division soon and go up to featherweight. So Sugar Sean will be uh, confident that he can try and get it done and make this division his own. Um, my hmm. thoughts are that uh, Sterling is obviously going to try and take it to the ground and Sean O'Malley is one of the best strikers in the UFC. So he'll uh, try and keep it on the feet and try and uh, find that, that lucky shot and knock Sterling out. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be interesting. I don't know how... Sh- O'Malley's ground game is going to go with Sterling. Um, Sterling's been somewhat over, um, you know, underrated, I think, as well. I thought that um, he'd lose the rematch with Jan, um, and he's just bounced back stronger. Um, so it's going to be a very tight one there. And obviously, Wang Li, uh, Zhang Wang Li's uh, back again, defending her title against Amanda Lemos as well. Yeah, that should be a cracker as well. I'm, uh, I really like that division, uh, the women's draw weight division. So that should be an awesome fight as well. And then. Um Obviously, there's a few other nice fights on the card, but there was a few cancellations. So, um, uh, obviously, Ian Gary has just pulled out um, with that fight against Jeff Neal. And then Cody Garbrandt was going to be in there as well, but he um, they cancelled as well through injury. So, um, frustrating that the card isn't as good as it could be, but um, it sh- still should be uh, pretty entertaining. Yep. So, I also understand you're going to UFC 293. Yes, I am in about three weeks. So, uh, very excited for that. Never been to a UFC event, and uh, they've locked in Izzy Adesanya versus uh, Sean Strickland in a title fight. Uh, the UFC were they didn't really want to give Strickland a title fight. He's a bit uh, um, he's obviously a, f- a fifth-ranked fighter as well, so he's not um, top top. But Izzy's beaten everyone else, so who else do you give it to? How, what's your prediction for that one? Uh, Izzy will win. Um, his distance is too uh, his distance um, is too strong. He won't let Sean Strickland get close to him. Um, we'll break him down through kicks and long-range attacks, and uh, Izzy will get another title defense. Yeah, and I love this. Um, looking at the looking at the schedule of um, the fight card, you got nine fights consecutive coming down from Israel all the way down to Thai. We got Aussie and New Zealanders going up against um, blokes from other countries. So. Let's see, you know, it's going to be tough, but it would be great if we could get the Aussies and New Zealanders go nine from nine um, from that. And obviously Tyson Pedro's having a hit as well. Um, and Ty's going up against Alexander Volkov as well. So that's a pretty good match uh, match up there. Six V eight in the heavyweight rankings. Yeah, it would be um, a great fight. We need Ty to win, it, to win another fight. He took a bit of a break um, because he got uh, he got knocked out. But um, I'm hoping that he has a bounce back. And obviously Kai Kara France is um, an outstanding fighter as well. And he's coming off a, a, a tight win, I believe, was his last fight. But uh, also just shout out to Jack Jenkins. He uh, is an, uh, another Aussie and uh, he comes into Giddy Up with Gareth Hall every Wednesday. And uh, he's a great great mind in, in racing randomly. He loves, uh, loves his racing a lot. But I uh, hope he gets the job done as well because he's... Uh, Taking this fight on a, a short break, and if he wins this, he um, will be looking to try and get into the, the ranking of the featherweight division. Yep, definitely. Um, are you backing in, Ty, to close the distance on Volkov? Uh, Volkov's a dangerous man. I'm going to mm. back Ty um, just because 
it's Ty and he's uh, got to be loyal to those Australians, but I'm not overly confident. I wouldn't bet my life on it, let's say that. 